Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to Romans 15, uh, that's where we're going to be today. We're wrapping up this series. Uh, we're wrapping up this series in uh, the book of Romans that we've been calling Re-Exodus. And kind of the main point of the series, the main thing we've been going after is the idea that gospel doctrine produces gospel Christians who create gospel culture. That's been the, the main idea we've been going after, that gospel doctrine produces gospel Christians who create gospel culture. We've seen this in Romans 15 and verses one through seven. Uh, you have strong people who are laying down their preferences for those who are weak. Uh, you have this command to live in harmony with one another. You have this command to welcome one another, even when we disagree, even when we're different. And all of that is rooted in gospel doctrine. All that's rooted in the reality that Christ has done this for us, that the strongest one laid down his strength so that we could be served. That Christ, who is vastly different than who we are, would humble himself so that he could welcome us in. This gospel culture that we're to, to seek to create is rooted in gospel doctrine. And there's never been a time when this kind of gospel culture was more necessary. And if the church can't get this figured out, man, the world's in deep weeds, okay? Because we're the only ones who have the doctrine to support it and the spirit to empower it. And so our hope remains that God would continue to make Exodus more and more into a church that loves gospel doctrine, that is filled with gospel Christians, and that embodies gospel culture. That's what we want to see. And today, as we wrap up this series, we're going to be reminded again of gospel doctrine, this gospel doctrine that is uh, to be embraced, and my prayer is that it would capture our hearts together. So I'm going to read Romans 15, verses 8 through 13. I'm going to pray again, and then we're going to uh, jump into God's word. Look at Romans 15, starting in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore... I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of gathering today. Thank you for the, uh, the reality that you want us to abound in hope and that you, by the power of the Spirit, will work in and through our lives so that we would be a people who abound in this hope that we so desperately need, that our church so desperately needs, that the world so desperately needs. So Lord Jesus, would you cause us to trust you today? 
Would you give us eyes and ears of faith to trust you? And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. And we're going to see two things today, okay? We're going to see first that God keeps his word. Then we're going to see that God keeps his people, okay? God keeps his word and God keeps his people. Let's start with his word. Look at verse eight. It says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God keeps his word. That's what Paul wants us to understand here. And he tells us that Christ became a servant to this group known as the circumcised. Here, Paul's referring to the Jewish people. Now, Paul is a Jewish man. He loves his people, but this people was also central to the crucifixion of Jesus, and they had persecuted Paul relentlessly. And yet Paul says that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. And then Paul tells us three reasons that Christ did this. First, he did this to show God's truthfulness. Now, this word show means to demonstrate, to display to put on display so that we might see God's truthfulness. Now, this is getting to God's character, okay? This is who God is. And what Paul wants us to understand is that everything about Jesus coming was to show God's truthfulness. Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God, and he came to show that God is truthful, Everything about his life, where he was born, how he lived, that he died, that he rose from the grave was to show God's truthfulness. Second thing, Jesus came not just to show God's truthfulness, but to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. All of this to show that God keeps his word. Now, when we read words like patriarch, maybe we have a question of what exactly does that mean? Well, patriarch means father. And in the Old Testament, uh, particularly early in Genesis to Deuteronomy, you see this phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three men are known and considered as the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. And in in the Old Testament, God made promises to them. They're going to be on the screen. To Abraham, he said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then to Isaac, God says, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you for to you and your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then to Jacob, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So all of these promises were given by God to these patriarchs, and Paul is saying that Christ came as a servant to not only show God's truthfulness in his character, but to confirm or fulfill his actual promises. Jesus came to show us that God keeps his word, that God keeps his word. 
And then Paul tells us the result of these things in verse 9. It says, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Jesus came to show God's character, to fulfill God's promises. And the result of that is that the nations get to glorify God for mercy. And then Paul Paul rattles off four examples from the Old Testament of that promise. Uh, In verse nine, it says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. And then we look at those promises and we need to remember and realize we are the fulfillment of that. We are part of God's fulfilling this promise to the patriarchs so that Gentiles like us, the nations, might glorify God for mercy. And when you look at these things, you see that we, we, we never deserved to get these privileges. We never deserved to sing the praises of God. We, we certainly didn't deserve to be part of his people. We don't deserve this privilege And when we look at this, we need to remember that we are not welcomed into the family of God because of our merit, but because of his mercy. So Jesus came to remind us that God keeps his word so that we could glorify God for his mercy. Because we we don't deserve this kind of mercy. We deserve his wrath and judgment. That's what we deserve. You see, the Bible tells us and our experience that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we deserve wrath and punishment for that. Now, immediately when we say this, there's something in us that gets perhaps a little bit nervous. In fact, in our world, the idea of God's wrath and punishment is it's it's like just anathema. Like, why would anyone talk about God's wrath and punishment in the world today? While at the same time, our culture vents wrath and, and, and punishment on anyone who doesn't live up to its moral code. We call it cancel culture, right? If someone doesn't say the right thing or says the wrong thing, they get canceled. And there's no grace, not even with an apology. But thanks be to God that he's not about cancel culture. Thanks be to God that those who have in fact said the wrong thing and have in fact done the wrong thing don't get canceled in Jesus. They get, we get grace. We get mercy. Christ died for the undeserving so we could see God's truthfulness, so we could see his promises fulfilled, and so that we could get mercy. All that to remind us that God keeps his word. And then next we see that God keeps his people. Look at verse 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, Paul is writing this letter during a tumultuous time for the church. 
There's persecution from without. The church is dealing with persecution from both Jews and Gentiles. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Here in Rome, this book is, uh, this letter is written to the church in Rome right before Nero is about to bring all kinds of persecution on them. Christians will be used to light the streets in Rome. They'll be used for sport in the Colosseum. Persecution from outside the church created a difficult time. There's problems inside the church. I mean, we've been looking at some of that in Romans 12 through 15. All of that was written because the problems were there. And listen, there's always been problems in the church. And until Jesus comes back, there will be problems in the church. Sometimes I hear people talk about the early church. Like, we need to be like the early church. We need to be authentic like the early church. We need to, and I want to say, have you read the Bible? Like, the book of Acts is filled with the problems of the early church. Like, people are complaining because they're not getting food right. People are lying about their giving. People are mistreating one another. And then all the letters from the book, from Romans to the end of the New Testament are written with problems in the church. And they're not like advanced ones. It's like, be kind, forgive, love, don't lie. I mean, these are like 101 kinds of things. The church has always been an imperfect people with a gloriously perfect Savior. And until he comes back, that will be the case. And when he comes back, we're going to be like him. And in the midst of all that, Paul wants us to remember that God keeps his people. He keeps his people. And with all the things we're facing, with the difficulty in our world, with the pandemic and all that brings, with the um, racial tension and, and, and grief and confusion on how we should respond and all of that, with all that going on, we need God to keep his people. And with the realities going on in, in our church, we need God to keep his people. With all the things going on, our emotional margin is razor thin. We need God to keep his people. And Paul wants us to see that God does that in verse 13. Notice, this is a prayer. This is a benediction. It's a good word that Paul is praying for those who read the letter. He's praying to the God of hope. He says, now may the God of hope. So what that means is that God is both the source and dispenser of this hope. So the only place we can get hope like this is from God And Paul's praying that God would fill those who believe with joy and peace. You see, hope in God leads to faith in God, which results in joy and peace from God. And notice it's not just joy and peace, it's all joy and all peace. And he's praying that this God of hope would not just fill us with that, but that he would cause us to abound in it that we would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, abound in hope. And so in the face of difficulty in the world around us, in the face of difficulty in the church between us, the God of hope fills us with joy and peace so that we might be a hope-filled people. Because God doesn't just keep his word, he keeps his people. He keeps his people. I was talking with a friend this week about his experience of the 1960s. And he was talking about how this current cultural reality that we're walking through feels very similar to what he walked through in the 60s. 
And he said, look, the social unrest, the lack of clarity about where we were going, how it was going to work out. And then he said, the next, and then the next thing he said filled me with hope. He said, but you know what we got after that? And his eyes just got real bright. He said, we got revival like I'd never seen in the U.S. before. We can be a people filled with hope because God keeps his word and God keeps his people. And we know this because he sent his son to prove it. So how do we apply this? Well, it feels like the passage has been kind of taking us down this hallway, just coming to a door with a question on it. Like, like this, all, everything about how Christ came to show God's truthfulness and fulfill his promise and all this conversation about the God of hope filling us with joy and peace and the power of the Spirit filling us with hope, all of this feels like it's getting us to a door with a question and that question is, will you trust him? Even this idea of being filled with joy and peace, there's that phrase in verse 13, in believing. We do not get joy and peace apart from believing. And so all of that is leading us to this question, will you trust him? Asked another way, will you trust the one who came to show that he could be trusted? Will you trust him? His name is Jesus He was born in fulfillment of God's promise. He came to show God's truthfulness. He rose again victorious over sin in the grave. And this God holds out hope and joy and peace to you. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Not just just with your eternity, but will you trust him tomorrow? Will you trust him? There's an old hymn that says, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. The hymn is or and or, but we don't talk like that, right? How I've, how I've proved him over and over. Then it says this, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Maybe this should be our prayer today. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Give me grace to trust you. I trust you. I I do. I trust you. But I need more grace to trust you more. But because because with all my plans and problems and probabilities, all that has kind of dented some of my trust. So I need grace to trust. Because if we're going to get the kind of hope, peace, and joy that we need, if we're going to be a people who abound in hope, we need to trust. And our trust in God will grow in, our, in proportion to our time in the word of God. I want you to notice here that Paul, Paul says his trust, excuse me, that Paul gives us four examples of, of scripture here in the midst of all this conversation around trust. He rattles off four promises from the Old Testament that fuels his faith. His trust in God is fueled by his knowledge of the word of God. Spurgeon said this about this passage. It's going to be on the screen. He says, the joy and peace here spoken of are through believing. 
You come to know the God of hope through the scriptures which reveal him. By this you are led to believe in him, and it is through that believing that you become filled with joy and peace. You say it's hard to trust. It's hard to trust in the midst of what's going on. Our trust in God will grow in proportion to our time in the word of God. Our trust in God will grow in proportion to our time in the word of God. So let me meddle a bit, okay? Are you spending time in the scriptures or watching Shapiro? Are you spending time in the Bible or listening to Biden? Now listen, we need to be informed. We need to know what's going on around us. But those things will not give us the hope that we need in these days. The scriptures will. Your time in the word of God will fuel your trust in God and fill you with hope and peace from God. So will you trust him? Christ came to show us that God would keep his word. Christ came to show us that God would keep his people. Will you trust him? Now, For a pretty long time now, I've been saying to many of you that if there was one thing that I could tattoo across the forehead of your soul, it would be God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Jesus came as a servant to show it. Our time in God's word fuels it. Our dependence on the spirit empowers it. And our world desperately needs it. So will you trust him? Let's pray together. Father, with all the things going on in our world, going on in our hearts, going on in our church, sometimes it can be hard to trust. It can be hard to to remember that you are trustworthy. And Lord, we, we need, we desperately need, we desperately need to, to trust you. So Lord, would you grant us grace, oh, for grace to trust you more. And Lord, would you give us just a desire, a passion to to pursue you in your word? Would you give us discipline to resist other things that might interest us so that we might immerse ourselves in your word so that our time in your word would grow our trust in your character? Lord, would you do that? Would you do that? So that we might be a hope-filled people who abound, abound in hope. Would you do it, Lord? Would you make it true in our lives individually, in our lives collectively? And then would that just spread into our world? Because our world needs hope. And Jesus came to show it to us. And so we we come to you as those who need. We come to you as the God of hope, the source and dispenser of it. So Lord, would you grant it to us today as we observe communion and as we sing. Would you give us grace to leave here as a people filled with hope. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.